Hello and welcome to Fox It All About. This is a special bonus episode which features the full-length interview that I had with Gerard McNamee on vocation, of which highlights you can find in the original episode 3. Just to give a backstory on Gerard, uh, in the last 25 years he's dabbed in music, uh, management and most recently film with pretty great success. Um, He's a native of the Bronx, New York, and he's had quite an interesting career, most of which he spent at Uh, running the New York nightclub and concert venue, Webster Hall, whilst doing various other things along the way, and some of which we get into in this episode. Gerard's parents immigrated from Ireland to New York, and his father is from a small town in County Tyrone called Six Mile Cross, where my grandfather is also from, because they're brothers. So that would make us second cousins, I guess. Um, And I also uh, know Gerard because... I uh, moved to New York for a year and stayed on a sofa for uh, all of two months, if you can believe it. And I was visiting New York in March this year and managed to get the time to sit down and have a good chat with him. Hope you enjoy. Vocation—it's what we're talking about. Doing work and getting paid, no doubt. Vocation. Yeah, you might want to solve, but don't worry, because everyone needs a job. What I wanted to talk to you about vocation was because you've obviously had a pretty unique career um, and when people uh, in our generation or people in general, uh, the average kind of person working their nine to five and, uh, and kind of stuck in an office or whatever. Well, I work nine to five, nine p.m. to five a.m., but I'm listening, yes. In an office, yes. let's say. or, 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 or uh, sort Which of I a... refer to the grounds that Webster Hall as my <laughs> office, but go on. <laughs> Well, okay. You, oh, let's say you've. Uh, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying, brother. <laughs> um, but I may not even be talking about Webster Hall here because I remember you telling me stories uh, a while ago about uh, you going around with a uh, a traveling circus. Was it? Yeah. And uh, riding around on horseback, rustling uh, cattle as well as wild animals. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, that's not the average <laughs> job that, uh, say, a millennial or, wh- or whatever does. It is not. Um, how, how the hell did you get into that? Well, yeah, I, I sometimes forget about that uh, era of my life. It was uh, several years. I owned a bar called Six Mile Cross up in the uh, Catskill Mountains. Six Mile Cross is the name of the town in the north of Ireland, County Tyrone, that my father was born and grew up in. And over there, they call it the cross. They shorten it and refer to it as the cross, which I always thought was pretty cool. The cross. We're going as the pub name? No, well, yes, that was the name. But before it was ever an idea of a pub, when I used to go to the cross as a child. Oh, right, I the was actual always, place there. Yeah, the there. actual place there. I've been fortunate enough, since both of my parents are from Ireland, to have traveled there innumerable, countless times in my 40 seven years so when I used to hear oh yeah we're going into the cross I said oh that's cool man the cross <laughs> we're hanging we're hanging at the cr- in the cross yeah. we're hanging at the cross so um, I had the bar and the point I'm trying to make is Americans didn't call it the cross naturally they referred to it as six mile oh, alright okay so I had this bar up in the mountains called six mile cross I had bid on a building in Manhattan and lost the bid after about 13 months Right. Third Avenue and Seventeenth Street. The current tenant is still there. That beat me out for the lease. Oh yeah. Okay. And it was a cool place because um, uh, the guitar guy that invented Les Paul, 
used to play at this place, 3rd Avenue and 17th Street, for, for 20 years every Monday night. Uh, so, and it had a cabaret license. So I bid on this building. I spent night and day trying to take over this building and I lost it. Can we say what the name of the place is now? It's some like wellness, uh, uh, yoga, oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, organic. <laughs> well, it's wellness in, yeah, it's in, place. it's in fashion, all that stuff. So. It is. Yeah. It has been, they've survived for nearly 20 years. Oh yeah. Had I gotten that space, my career path probably would have been slightly different, but still the same, dispensing alcohol <laughs> and cowboying, which I'm getting to. So uh, we lost the lease. Uh, we lost the opportunity at the lease on 3rd Avenue and 17th Street. Now we had money when we were organized. So at that point, I was so frustrated that I needed like a vacation yeah. before my head exploded. So... Um, we used to go out to the Hamptons in our early 20s, and then all the Hamptons guys would, would go to Hunter Mountain. That was their tour. They did half the year in the mountains and half the year at the beach. Right, seasonally. So, yeah, it was a seasonal thing, and they had the best of both worlds. So me and my buddy said, yo, why don't we jump on that bandwagon? So we had been going up to Hunter Mountain snowboarding our entire, skiing our entire lives, so we knew that the Hampton Bays guys went up to Tannersville and they had this place called Slopes, which was a gigantic nightclub. So right. I was just leaving my first tenure at Webster Hall and I needed something to do. So we, ha we went up to the mountains and we got ourselves a lease and we opened up Six Mile Cross, Hunter Mountain, and we blew the roof off of the place. They never saw anything like it. I had spent five years in Webster Hall every day, and then I go up to Bumfuck, New York, in the mountains, and yeah. open up a club, bar, lounge, cafe thing. It was awesome. Yes. <laughs> we turned the place on the rear. It's all people from New York and New Jersey up there skiing at the mountain, right? There's also a gigantic Hasidic uh, community up there. So we got the bar going up there, and then a few months later, uh, within six months, we opened up another bar out in Montauk. So now all of a sudden we were on the tour. We did six months in the mountains. Right. So you'd go with them basically to each bar. It was like was the season. sun belt or the Bible belt. We yeah. were on the, I don't know, the bar belt. Right. We did the winters here and the summers here. <laughs> Um, because we didn't have the capital to do it in Manhattan. Right, right. And we right. were having so much fun. We were snowboarding in the winters and swimming in the ocean in the summers. Nice. So it was a great setup. So <clears throat> then 9-11 uh, happened. Uh, the space in Montauk got sold. The, the acre of land we were renting in East Hampton in Montauk and Montauk Harbor was sold to another owner. So out goes the tenant. And I didn't have the best lease, so I wasn't protected that well. So we kindly, we kind of built this business up in Montauk, and then it got ripped out from underneath us right. when millionaires were trading acres of land in East Hampton. Yeah. So then I was stuck, if you will, for lack of a better word, up in the mountains, twelve months a year. All right. Okay. So it's it was a ski resort town. <laughs> it's a ski resort town. So we, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention. So we started doing open mics and shit. By the time we knew it, we had we had a seasonal business going in the summertime up there with all the hikers and the campers oh, and the musicians right, okay. from the Hudson Valley. People used to come to our open mic night from 20, 30, 40, 50 miles away nice. to play at our open mic. So all of a sudden, in the middle of the summer, we're cranking in this little bar. 
anyway, it got as beautiful as it is up there, and I never one day took advantage of the physical beauty of my surroundings. Every day I go, well, I might not have any money, but it sure is pretty up there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, out of necessity and desire, I needed to do something else. So my buddy Joey Farrell comes over to my bar at the in the lodge in the mountain up there. We switched locations from the town center, Main Street, Tannersville, to Cortina Valley Mountain Ranch. And we opened up a bar, lounge, cafe, nightclub in the lodge for the mountain. Okay. So, we got that business going. We opened up the whole mountain. There was skiing, there was a snow tubing, there was snow blowing, there were tractors, there were uh, ski the things that groomers it was a big operation so once we got that up and running and some of the reality set in and the budget and blah 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 I was like this is nuts man I need a break and my head's gonna explode <laughs> so my buddy Joey Farrell was working for me up there and during uh when he was at winter quarters they call it in the circus winter quarters is when you're not on the road Right. You, you're at winter quarters or oh, okay. during the winters the outdoor circus isn't viable so you go to Florida in winter quarters and you oh, wait okay. for the nice weather to come back so you can go back up north and put up your tents and have your circus outdoors in lots of different state and county fairs and shit so right. he was at winter quarters and he was working for me at the bar he goes listen you got to come over and he lives up there so his winter quarters were his homestead where he right, grew okay. up so on the other mountain, there's Hunter Mountain, there's a bunch of mountains up there, but there's Hunter Mountain, then there's Windham Mountain, eight miles away across, I think it's 296, I've driven it a million times, dangerous roadway between the two mountains. And there was the Windham Mountain Ranch over there, and Joe Farrell was a trained clown, graduated from Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College. And he worked for... Oh, this is Joe that, uh, that I met up, upstate before. Who that's him. He passed away a couple That's of years ago. That's Joey. Away. He died from G GBS, Gilliam Barre syndrome. That's for another podcast. Right. He was sleeping on this same couch that you slept on. Yeah. And he got up one day and fell on the ground and called me. I can't move my legs. I raced home, dragged him out the door onto the sidewalk, put him in a cab, brought him to the hospital. He never left the hospital. He died 51 days later. Healthy one day, dead. So that was the later. first symptom of it when he when he fell. No, or, or he was he was walking funny for about two days. I go, are you limping? What the fuck, man? And then it just got worse and worse, and all of a sudden, so Jesus. Joey Farrell, before he met that fucking tragic, depressing end, um, was a man full of life, and he was a fucking clown, and he worked for the Vidbell Circus that had been on the Wyndham Mountaintop for a hundred years. Mr. and Mrs. Vidbell met on Barnum and Bailey Circus in the 30s. He was the elephant handler, right. and she was a trick rider. So they got married, and they opened up a ranch up in the mountains, and they raised fucking elephants in the mountains. <laughs> in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah. So Joey brought me over to... He goes, Jordan, you got to come and meet the bears and see what I do. I had just met Joe around that time. Right. And he goes, you got to come over and see what I do. So I go, all right, let's drive over there, man. 
We drove over, and I get over there, and this fucking, he introduces me to four black bears, two pumas, ten horses, twenty goats, the mama llama, the daddy llama, the baby llama, five dogs, a gigantic horse and a little tiny horse that didn't act together, and all these animals. I was like, Jesus, it's like I'm in, I'm in the fields of Clare over here, or Tyrone. It's like a fucking proper farm hmm. with animals. So... The guy, the boss man was, so the Vidbells, or the parents, they had a daughter, Sharon Sandlofer. She's a famous animal handler. She was there, and Michael was there. Michael, her husband, who sailed the seven seas. He won Rolex Man of the Year award twice, and he's, and he, he's the only man to ever take a beached whale and set it back into the, into the wild. He got into the water, was hanging out, hugging the whale, feeling it. Made tied some navy ropes and then tugged the thing out and <laughs> took the net off and the fucking thing swam away. It's the only guy ever to have unbeached a beach fucking whale back name? into the wild. Michael Sand, Michael Sandlofer. He married the Vidbell daughter, Sharon Vidbell right. Sandlofer. So when I went, I didn't see the Vidbell, the old people. They were at the house down the road. I didn't know them. This is my first introduction. I meet Sharon and Michael Sandlofer. Michael Sandlofer was a boxer from the Bronx, a New York City Jew, uh, and Michael Sandlofer, he called himself Mickey Sands and was a Daily News, uh, what do you call it, a Daily News Golden Gloves boxer. All right. He had a very interesting life. So I go and I meet these two people, and he's going, I ah, get this fucking, build this tractor, put this trailer over there, I'm building the museum, take the country store, put it over here. I'm like, wow, this guy's like the Three Ring Circus. So Joey, hey, who's the, who's the guy with the long hair? He looks like he doesn't belong up here in the mountains. But I need help, Joe, do this. To, so I come in and I go, well, well this is crazy. And Joe goes, uh, do you, I'm sure if he needs help, we could work right now. What are you talking about work right now? He goes, well, we're leaving in four days. And I go, all right, whatever. So Michael, so Joey brings me over to Michael and says, Michael, I, we're here to work. How much are you paying us today? He said, I'll give you $100 each. I said, all right, what do you want me to do? So he goes, well, I got to turn this fucking horse trailer, tractor trailer, trailer from a tractor trailer, was full of muck and shite. And it needed to be cleaned. And then he booked the show where he needed a museum. So he was going to take all these horns and put them on the wall and a horseshoe and put it on the wall and a picture of an Indian and put it on the wall and all these artifacts from the American West. So I go, I'll fucking, I'll put the museum together. You got a hammer, nails, everything I need? He goes, yeah. So you got to clean out all the shite, pull out all the mats, get it so it doesn't look like there's been animals living in it for the last eight months. Right. And we're turning it into a museum and we have three days. I go, all right, well, I can work today. So I went in there, I did it about, I was there about four or five hours. He comes over, he goes, so something's not right here. A guy like you should not be over here working at the, what, what's your story? Who the fuck, what, what happened? I go, I graduated from Fordham University in the Bronx. I'm not an ordinary fellow. He goes, well, I can tell that. He goes, I was born in the Bronx. I, 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 I. <laughs> so we hit it off. All of a sudden now, I got a bar eight miles away, and I'm intrigued. And these people... Uh, work with rescued animals and they train rescued animals. Right, okay. So now they always need people. It's the circus. So they go, You want to come with us out on the road to uh, the Big Ben Fair in Pennsylvania? And I said, uh, Yeah, well, when are you leaving? And he said, Well, such and such. I said, When are you coming back? He said, Such and such. I go, So it's about a 10 day run? They said, Yeah. 
So I said, all right, let me figure this out. So I went back to the bar, talked to the owner of the mountain, to my landlord, and it was coming to off season, and uh, what the fuck am I gonna do here? So I cut a deal with the guy at the lodge and let him operate under my license yeah, with right. some parameters. Mm -hmm. And I went out. Well, before that, I said, I'm going out on the road with these people for 10 days. Keep an eye on this shit. So we went out, we did the 10-day jump, I was hooked. I was on the back of a fucking bucking horse running through a <laughs> fairground holding on for my life, hoping the horse wouldn't kill anybody. Right then the, the, the killer cat gets left out and escapes while we're doing a show and it's sitting ready to pounce on the nearest child and I noticed it. And in the middle of the show while we're putting on our production, I'm getting ready to shoot Joe <laughs> with the gun. I go, I walked up calmly, I go, Sharon, the fucking cat's on the grass. Sharon turns calmly around, exits the fairground, the the uh, the show place that we had fenced in, and walks calmly over right up to this little thing that she rescued that, that was this big that has fangs like this that could kill anybody at any time, and grabbed it by its collar and walked it back into the truck, locked the gate, walked calmly back, continued the show. So that's the story. That's how I came to join the circus. I did it for two years. I wore a cowboy hat and spurs every day for two years, whether I was in New York or Kentucky. Oh, really? You I come was back into the city as a cowboy? Yeah. A New York well, we passed through, and uh, we had one jump up in the Bronx for a day at this uh, pharmacy for these Italian guys that put something on for the kids. Um, so, yeah, I wore, I was a cowboy. We went out to different state and county fairs and did a reenactment of the American frontier. I slept in a truck, I ate off a campfire 90% of the days for two years. So when we were at the different state and county fairs, we'd have educational things. The whole about thing the animals, was educational or? about how this country was built by brain power, manpower, and with animals. Oh, there were okay. no computers. There, was, there were no tractors. So the show was based around the kind of storytelling like The that? history of the American buffalo, the horse, the different types of horses. What was a workhorse? What was a horse that you rode? Um, and then from the milk from the cow, you got shoes and leather and, and, uh, and milk and food. And this is how they cured it. And this is how they cooked it. And this is how they did it with no technology, zero technology. They lived from the land. So this was the educational bent of the show. All right. Plus these people were Christians. Okay. So they had that message as they well. They had that <laughs> bent as well. I'm a Christian, but I'm a Catholic. Yeah. They were yeah. Protestant Christian Christians. inverted commas. Yeah. You know, so very interesting dynamic. Because once you bring the whole, nothing I could tell you about the whole religious thing, but once you bring a religious, there's another bent. Right. But it was all good. There was, it wasn't too, it was just different than my religion. It wasn't too particularly aggressive, but sometimes it was a little, you know, it was a little much. Yeah. But not really. But because I understood it and I was involved and I've been uh, involved in it kind of my whole life because of where my father's from, I kind of... You uh, you learn, you under, start to understand things as you get more experienced and wise in life. Yeah. So, I didn't have a particular problem with it. I, I, in America, thank goodness, we don't have, although, of course, there are racists and, uh, and uh, terrible people in all groups. For the most part in America, it doesn't matter if you're whatever religion yeah, you yeah. are. 
you're welcome to practice it. Hopefully you're not going to blow us up while you're doing it, but you know, that's one of the things we're grappling with now in this reality. Mm -hmm. So back to the circus. It was fucking great. I was going to ask, are you, were you in the shows or were I you was. behind the scenes? I was. It's funny. It's, um, thank you for asking because this is where it gets fun. So we'd, the animals would live in one of the trailers and then we'd build a gigantic 10 foot fence that we had on a flatbed that we had to build every fucking time we showed up at a new site. Yeah. So we built this cage off of the tractor trailer that the pumas and the bears lived in. The bears lived in one side, the pumas lived in another. Mm -hmm. There were four bears, there were three cages in this thing. One cage at either side and one cage in the middle. Benny the bear had to live by himself, he was the alpha. <laughs> and, then the, and then I forget if it was two girls or three more girl bears. So, We'd pull into these different state and county fairs where 10,000 people would show up at, or a million people would show up over the course of a week. And we would be one of the, one of the features hmm. in the midway. So my job during that particular show, we did different shows. We did an, a, a ring, a show, and a bull, and a bull ring. And then we did the, uh, the show with the Pumas. So that was for uh, in the ring. In the rodeo ring, right. you, we would do our horse things, we would do our dog shows, we would do uh, uh, roping shows, and lassoing. The trick ponies and lassoing in that ring. And then at the other side of our, we set up a town, a frontier town. We mm -hmm. had a museum, oh, really? we had a general store, we had this show set up. It took, our setup took a fucking acre of land. We had seven or eight trucks, a staff of 10, 12, 15 people, 50 animals. It was major, man. So my job during the show with the bird, with the with the <laughs> cats and the bears, while the boss man and lady were working with the cats, the bears were chained up. Right there, the bears were chained up at either side. And I had to keep the bears distracted from the pumas. <laughs> that were no longer chained. They were now in the boss's oh, arms. Right, okay. They were on a chain leash, but they were out. They, they could have pulled that leash. Yanked it. So then they did tricks with the cats. And while that was happening, the bears were sitting there like this on their butts and <laughs> holding balance. So I had to feed the fucking bears Marshmallows. Marshmallows? Yeah. Bears like marshmallows? Bears like marshmallows. Wild. After on the fire or just by themselves? No. And you don't Not feed a s'more. You don't feed. No, no s'mores for the bears, for the black bears, the wild animals. These animals, you know what happened to those famous circus guys? They raised the cat and then the cat took the guy and fucking ripped his throat off. Oh, yeah. What were they called? The. Those two German guys. Yeah, whatever they're called. So this happens. I was right in there, man. The cats didn't like my spurs because they were shiny. So the cats right. were going. Who's scary, man? So you don't feed a bear a marshmallow like this. No. You put it in the palm of your hand, then you cup it, and you put it to their mouth uh, like this. Okay. Otherwise, they might bite, bite your finger right, off. Right. So you kind of lead them. They're, they're stupid, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> but they would sit there, and they were almost had this weird human-like quality, that they're like a drunk human, the way they would kind of <laughs> hold themselves and sit up on their, you know, it was fucking weird. It was cool. It was great. So here I am. I'm like... I'm a nightclub guy from the city, and now I'm fucking feeding marshmallows while the cats could rip any one of us apart at any time. And I had a stick. 
that I had to like, I had to give them like a whack. Like when you're training animals, you give them a little bit of a whack. Right. To keep them, to, so they know, hey, don't fuck around, bang. Yeah. You, you like shake their bones a little bit. <laughs> At least with the Texas Longhorn, yeah. There's no, there's only skin and then their skull. So if you give a, a cow or a bull, you hit right on the skull, it'll give them a little, you know. <laughs> so that was my job during that. And then well, when we did the rodeo show, I had to open up the gate. The, the boss man would come out, he'd gallop out on this big fucking Appaloosa horse and yeehaw and shoot off this cap gun. And then he'd come to a of a, stand, a standstill in the middle of the arena with the horse's front two feet up on like this little platform. So he was up like this. Right. He had a wireless mic. So while he was wireless mic, I was like doing the music at the side. We had different cues. So I had like these antiquated fucking like eight track cassette tape <laughs> things that we would, it was like totally copped. It was like a traveling, uh, it was unbelievable. So, that was my job. I was like the producer of the event. So when he was done with the horse, he'd take, he'd let the horse go. I'd open the gate. He'd let the horse go. I'd open the gate, and then I'd jump on the fucking horse and ride it backstage real quick like this, and then jump off the horse and tie him up, and then I'm back to press play for the next song. All uh, right. Then the wife would come out, and she'd have seven or eight horses, and three white horses would go this way, and three white horses would go this way, and then they'd all stop this way, and then they'd go, they'd do a figure eight, and it was really cool. And she'd be with her little tassel oh, yeah. whip, uh, giving them commands like this, and they'd all follow her commands, you know? So I would have to open and close the gate for that. And then my favorite part, he'd be given some spiel and then he'd say oh and there's the preacher and the criminal and me and Joe Farrell Joe Farrell would try to be talking me from shooting him so I'd say you're no good pastor and he'd and he'd have this Bible this this small Bible that he gave to me in the exchange and it was the a religious angle coming in yeah well yes no yes but not really, like subtly. Right. But it was like a like that's how it was in the West. Some yeah, people were right. Bible thumping, blah, 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 you know. So somehow during our exchange, Joe gives me this Bible. The pastor gives me the Bible, and I don't like it, and I go to shoot him. But he's such a great shot that he shoots me first, and I go and I fall. Now we have a gunfight. There's a 200, 300 people watching, little kids and shit, and he shoots me, and I fall into the fucking fence like I'm dead, and then all of a sudden I get up, and I get up and I take out the Bible, and the pastor man shot me in the Bible, <laughs> and the Bible saved my life. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> So we had a proper gunfight, and these were guns. These were like fucking heavy cap guns. These were like if you if you didn't know what a gun was, you'd say, "Oh my god, this is a real gun." Mm. It was fully. So I I would do a little of the tricks, right? Then another thing, depending on how much time we had, then there was another where we had a chase, and I would chase the guy. We'd come through the ring, over the thing, right while the boss was doing his thing. All of a sudden, a couple of cowboys would come running. We'd jump over the fence. We'd go up on top of the the uh, on top of the 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 trailer where the animals lived then we'd hop over to the general store all the while like kind of like shooting at each other and hiding <laughs> behind and people are going what the fuck's going on here and then all of a sudden the boss has his I guess his wife hands the boss the 30-30 and it's a fucking rifle they call it a 30-30 right. and the two barrels on it it's a double barreled rifle are like that big and the shells are that 
width and that size. And he comes out and clicks the thing and goes, boom! And it's like a fucking cannon. Everybody, like, it's a real, it's a, it's it's a, real a gun, fake, it? it's a real gun. But with uh, blanks in it? Blanks. So we were just shooting blanks. I swear to God, it was like a cannon. And then we stopped. And then we keep going because we're cowboys, even <laughs> though the one guy's got a cannon. And then the second shot, the fucking boss man went, bop, and shot me. And then I got to fall off the fucking side of the thing, and I'm dead on the side. <laughs> It was nuts. I did that for two years, bro. That's mad. That was the start of your acting career as well. <laughs> well, you know what? You're playing a character. It was because to this day on my acting resume, I have that down as theater, Vidbell Circus Theater. Oh, right. On my acting resume right yeah, now why not? today. And I didn't really look at it like that, Connor, until after I got into my acting career, which yeah. is another story. So when I was doing it, I didn't realize I was acting. I was just having a fucking time of my life. And this, I was in my mid to late 30s when I did this. I wasn't like a teenager. This is just like somewhat recently. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a great experience. It was, thanks for asking. It was something else. And we were able to bring, we brought people. Were, it was so interesting. You learn a lot about people. When we were eating our lunch at the campfire, people couldn't tell if we were real or not, or if we were like figures at Madame Tussauds. They would stop and stare and kind of look at us to see if we were moving or if we were real. Like just because you looked so authentic in yeah. the setting? And we'd say, all right, Ma, and dinner time, we'd have the bell. Whether, <laughs> we were, whether we were given a show or not, it was a show the entire time. Yeah.